When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? This is a very special episode that I've been working on with help from Kent Chungus of our podcast, True Crime Kent. This is like a companion pod to the episode that you've likely already heard, and if you haven't, you should hear it either after this or before this, on Jason Vukovich. Kent has developed a rapport with Jason, a man you might better recognize as the Alaskan Avenger, uh, the Avenging Angel. Subscribe to True Crime Kent and listen to episode 16 for a more linear take than what you'll get here, though on both episodes you will get to hear from Jason Vukovich himself, thanks to two exclusive interviews Kent recorded with him. I had Kent ask Jason some very personal questions in regards to his polarizing case, and Jason answered them without hesitation. You will hear some of his response through this episode, but in the end, what I took from his overall message was that he hoped I could find a way to bring light to the reasons why someone might end up at Jason Vukovich. I did my best, and before I begin, I just wanted to thank Kent and Jason, uh, Jason's sister Angelina, for their help, and, uh, and Kent and Jason's case for their candid conversation here that gave me much of what I needed to write this episode. If I told you that in the year of 2016, a man with a hammer and his well-trained pit bull were breaking into homes, terrorizing the residents, beating on the residents, then robbing them, would you be surprised to hear that that man is currently serving over 20 years for his crimes? Personally, with my experience in researching crime, I'd shrug my shoulders and say, okay, sounds close depending on the details, depending on the circumstances, though it's almost enough to know that Buddy was breaking in through windows like a disciple of Richard Ramirez, like 
the original Joe D'Angelo. That's scary enough to throw away the key, because, in my opinion, it doesn't get much scarier than that. So I wouldn't be bothered. I'm never bothered, usually, by excessive sentences for repeat offenders who appear to be progressing in their crimes. I'm not bothered, until recently, thanks to our recent contact with the Alaskan Avenger. Above excessive sentencing on my list of bothersome firmly sits the constant examples of short sentences, in particular the short sentences doled out to sex offenders. Search your local sex offender registry. I'll bet you'd be surprised by how many live within a five-mile radius of you. And no, they're not all dudes who got screwed by age of consent laws, as those pussies on Reddit would have you believe. Actually look, read. It's scary, I know, but take a peek. Google sex offenders in my area. Here, I'll do mine quick. And don't worry, I'll be careful not to name names here. Wouldn't want to be accused of harassment, of sex offender shaming. Okay, all right. Here's a guy recently released, 38 years old. Looks like a straight-up psychopath, mean mugging in his photo. Has a mask under his chin, so this must be a recent pick. He's 6 feet, 220 pounds. Offender has a history of sexual offenses. Victims ranging in age from 9 to 80 years old. Offender is considered a high risk to reoffend in a sexually violent manner. Known to portray himself as a recent massage therapy graduate or a mentally disabled person in order to manipulate his victims. Wow. That's a lot. What else? It appears he's a dangerous offender who had been in prison since 2015 for kidnapping a friend's nine-year-old daughter, resulting in a list of charges including sexual assault, uttering threats, forcible confinement, assault, and numerous breaches of probation and recognizance orders and failing to comply with long-term supervision order, which means he was already under some so-called watch for previous sex crimes. Offenders served seven years minus 50 months pre-sentence custody credit, meaning his victim and her family had to wait a little over five years to learn that this animal would only serve another two years for his crimes. This is a dangerous repeat offender whose crimes escalated from tricking old ladies into sticky massages to kidnapping, confining, and assaulting a nine-year-old girl. While incarcerated, the offender did not participate in any sex offender programming. Cool, cool, cool. He is an untreated dangerous offender that is, again, quote, considered a high risk to reoffend in a sexually violent manner against all females, both adults and children. And that's it. Well, thanks for the heads up. I'll let my neighbor know. He's got a nine-year-old girl and an 80-year-old grandmother. I'll let him know that this offender now lives somewhere nearby. You see, in Canada, they don't tell you exactly where they live. This guy's just in my son's treehouse screwing a high heel for all I know. He's got a foot fetish, you see. I know that because one of his many conditions listed here is that he's not to touch anyone's feet. A predator who showed no remorse, refused treatment. A pedophile. A violent pedophile in his prime, who has in the past completely ignored restrictions imposed on him as a result of his lifetime of sexual offenses.
and he's not even good at hiding what he does. This guy just recklessly offends where the majority of sex offenders are highly covert, highly manipulative. Jesus, this guy's only 38 years old, maybe 39 now. He's been out since October 29th. The alert dropped on the 30th to give him a head start out of the gates, I guess. Just in time for Halloween. That's smart. Let's release an insatiable and violent pedophilic sex offender days before National Child Predator Night. The evening where it's completely reasonable to disguise yourself and offer candy to kids to invite them into your home even. Oh, and there's more. Many more. But you have plenty of your own problems to realize I'm certain. Take a look. Please, pause the show. I'll be here waiting. I'll be here hoping my own nine-year-old makes it home for lunch. That my three-year-old hasn't yet caught the eye of some sly perv that's filed him away as spank bank fodder. I'll be here stewing. Stewing over a system that worldwide seems to be lenient towards sexual predators. Stewing over the fact that I could rob a bank and serve life, but kidnapping and molesting a kid would only get me five to ten. Where's our priorities at? Why is it that every single person I speak to about the constant release of sexual predators seems to be as outraged as I am, yet the door keeps revolving? And the release won't stop. They just get sneakier about it. What are the odds that that offender near me doesn't re-offend by his 40th birthday? 50-50? And what are the odds for the offense to be a big one? Worth it, so to speak. At this point, he's not going to risk another 10 years locked up for simply tickling feet. Somebody's got to do something about this. Should I do something about this? It feels like it. I feel like I'm almost culpable now that I'm aware of some beast being free in the area. If this were 30,000 years or so ago, I feel that even a Neanderthal would have enough sense to brain this bastard before he could hurt anyone else. If we are so much more evolved, then why are we being so lenient, so willfully blind to the fact that those who have a taste for children, a taste for rape, a taste for preying upon supple young innocents via their laptops or their binoculars or their bedroom doors, will never rid themselves of their urges? They are dogs who can't stop biting. Put them on a choke chain and they'll hang themselves in pursuit of their fixation. Sometimes, it feels like being the bigger man is a small man's way of justifying cowardice. It's frustrating. It's gross. It's not worth spending much time thinking about because it's too upsetting. You'd think that they are being closely monitored, but they aren't. Shit, a guy cut a man's head off on a bus and ate his eyes ten years ago out here, and he's been out so long now that nobody asks about it anymore. Nobody talks about it. I just found out a highly volatile sex beast was let loose months ago nearby because I took a quick glance at the registry. I was under the impression that things were under control. I thought my kids were pretty safe. But apparently they're not. It makes me wish that there were real-life superheroes. Big tatted-up brutes with the balls to confront these ticking or tickling time bombs just to keep them in check. Just to continuously let them know that, hey... The system may have taken its eyes off you, but we haven't. No, we won't wait for you to figure it out, to get better or learn to be better at being worse. It takes a village to raise a child, and so it should take a village to protect one. And we try, we do our best, as hand-wringing little worrywarts, biting our nails when a loved one's late for dinner. We try to be vigilant through education, but it's toothless. And we all know this. I won't hunt this man down.
I'll screenshot his picture and show it around, but of course I won't actually do anything other than feel a spike of anxiety every three hours for the next two weeks until I forget about him. So what do we do? Well, we take a deep breath, maybe make some dinner, cue up a mindless food review video on YouTube and try not to think about it. That's what we do. And in the back of our minds, we hope that someone steps in when the other shoe drops. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is Full Dark Topic 5. The Righteous Anger of Jason Vukovic. Perfect. ourselves. And the first, our child version, warms the clay that we will permeate with our experience, our thoughts, our will going forward, and future iterations of our base selves. But the clay, we can't choose. It's handed to us by our parents in our childhood. We take in a lot as children. We fuel up for the life ahead in those dependent years. We observe, we listen, we obey like clay. In truth, we are the clay, and the hands of our caregivers warm us up for what we will shape into. But some of us, on top of trying to get our bearings as a human being, on top of being rolled and squished and pressed, have caretakers whom are still trying to do the same, still trying to whip themselves into form, some 25 to 35 years of life ahead of us. The result, of course, is that we develop an unstable base. We come out malformed, cold and dry in spots, underprepared in some areas and overworked in others. But when something like, say, religion gets involved, a spiritual supplement, a cloak of consciousness, something that is put on by our preparers like a lab coat on a monkey, it takes a long time to reverse whatever procedure they choose to perform on us. Power is often misused. Power invites misuse by nature. It's true. But when power over a child is misused, is misused by morons and sadistic, sinning sucker punchers like Jason Vukovic's stepfather. The unstable base of clay forms in an illusory fashion. It lays out smoothly, folding in on itself to hide any imperfections, appearing from the outside to have been poured perfectly. But that's the secret of perfection. It doesn't exist. And if something tries to present itself as so, you can guarantee that something egregiously imperfect lies beneath the surface in its construction. Jason Vukovic's stepfather, Larry Fulton, is in a prime position for a pedophile. The mother's okay with it. You go do what you gotta do with those boys. Make them men, unlike their father, scheming fly-by-night flanderer he was. So he beats on them, Jason and his older brother. He beats on them so frequently that it becomes a hobby creating tools for the trade like a customized 2x4 designed to work as a crude paddle. The boys are spanked until their behinds and the backs of their legs are purple. The home becomes a cave, and the cubs crush themselves into corners to escape the wrath of Papa Bear. Not their Papa, no, but a Papa all the same. A Papa in his own mind. The worst kind of parent, the step-parent, kind to the mother, sweet and subservient, but brutal to the offspring of her former lover. Alaska, for all of its beauty, is just as ugly as anywhere else when it comes to human beings. It's a dark place, 
in more ways than one. The sun doesn't shine much through winter months, and in the more desolate communities, things can get pretty strange in the near-constant twilight. Alaska has forever been a place for nomads to call home. Some, as one can imagine, trying to escape a life of crime, often not limited to common offenses. In fact, many a sexual offender has targeted North as their hiding place, a place where conveniently it's easy for one to continue their perversions under less scrutiny than one would have to maneuver in the lower 48. Jason Vukovic grew up in a highly conservative, highly Christian, highly private environment. What was happening to him and his brother in regards to the beatings was happening to the neighborhood kids as well, just with less sadism and more tough love in the spirit of it. In church, the idea of sparing the rod and spoiling the child was often at the forefront. Tricks and tips like only beating on the backs of the legs so as to hide bruising were shared as a way to avoid being reprimanded by outside authorities, weakened by modern sensibilities and emerging belief systems that the majority of society was beginning to adopt. Using fear and abuse to dissuade your wife and your children from getting out of line was a time-honored tradition in many parts, so there wasn't much hope early on for Jason that his stepfather would stop hurting them. In fact, as time crept forward, as the kids grew into little men, things suddenly became much worse. Larry Fulton began holding private late-night prayer sessions with the boys. This, as you may have already guessed, was a guise used to be alone with the boys so he could sexually assault them. Jason's older brother tried, and the only way he could think, to protect his little brother. Eventually, once they'd done all they could to hide and fight the man off, he'd end up volunteering to go first, in hopes of satiating the old boar. Which is just so sad. Sadder still, this was rarely a successful tactic, and... Both boys were treated like, in Jason's own words, quote, farm animals, until they reached an age where they could run away. Of course, the oldest had the first opportunity to escape when he reached his teens. And he did so. But it didn't take long for authorities to track him down after his mother reported him as missing. I've attempted thus far to avoid using names, as the sensitive nature of what happened to these boys has my discretion unusually high. But for clarity's sake... Joel was Jason's older brother's name, and when he got the chance to let authorities know why he'd run from home, he took it. This led to an investigation which was slow to unfold, but as a result, Joel was sent to foster care rather than back to the abuse, where he stayed until he became of legal age to be on his own at 18. Jason was still just a kid when his brother bailed, so for half a decade, much of his late childhood and early teens, he was left to fend off his abuser's advances alone. He did well to stay out of the house most days, but had to come home to eat and sleep eventually. This desertion did not sit well with the boy, and though his brother had sounded the alarm of the horrendous situation he felt forced to leave Jason in, nothing was done to immediately stop it, largely in part to Jason's own unwillingness to share with service workers his plight for fear of making things worse for himself. It didn't help that his mother took her husband's side and drew a clear line in the sand between her kids and her loyalty to their abuser. After all, who would believe a mother could turn a blind eye to such a situation? Surely the kids had to be lying, or at the very least exaggerating. But despite all the secrecy, all of the denial, all of the unwillingness to believe such abuses were occurring, 
1988, it seemed things were finally going to become rectified in some way when charges were brought down on Larry Fulton for second-degree abuse of a minor. Now, something like this, especially back in the 80s, in a conservative, almost cult-like religious community out in a twilight town in Alaska, would be big news, big gossip. And though the initial reaction upon hearing that this mangy child abuser, this child molester, and Larry Fulton had finally been dragged from the den where his low-down, dirty, vicious behavior toward his stepchildren could wither in the daylight, though your initial reaction would be to breathe a sigh of relief for Jason, picture your own preteen self being pulled into court to describe what to this point had been an unspeakable thing that was happening to you. Imagine the scrutiny, the shame, the coldness of that courtroom, the artificial light and the artificial empathy. Imagine having your abuser dead to rights like this, and in the end, the judge hands down a three-year suspended sentence where he serves no time in prison and comes back home to your mother where they then decide to move to escape the stares and whispers and you are forced in with the luggage to a new cave, to his cave, where the beatings promptly continue, this time with a little more vitriol considering all the trouble you've caused. Jason again stays out of the house as much as possible, picking up work here and there with local hunting and fishing outfits, and begins to see some light at the mouth of the cave of his childhood. Mercifully, the sexual abuse stops. But as a result of this whole travesty of justice, so does Jason Vukovic's trust in the powers that be. He is not a stupid person, and far from a coward. So as soon as he's able, like his long-gone protector and big bro Joel, Jason runs away. At the age of 16, he announces to his mother that he's leaving, and that he'll need whatever forms of ID that she has of him so that he can travel and find work. As a final insult, Sandy, another name I've held back for whatever reason, Jason's mother Sandy throws his belongings at the front door and refuses to give her boy even this small bit of help, claiming she can't do it as it will be seen in the eyes of God as aid in his certain departure into a life of sin. So, Jason Vukovic, full of righteous anger, fills a garbage bag with clothes and walks away. After years spent in captivity under the rule of false piety, he begins his inevitable evolution towards becoming what the young, helpless version of himself had always needed. No, not a counselor, though he certainly should have had one. No, not a competent law enforcement officer, though he had the intelligence and physical presence to have become a shining example of this. No. For an abuse-hardened kid like young Jason Vukovic, there was only one thing he could hope to become. A badass who took no shit from anyone and handed it out frequently to all he deemed deserving. It's a life of crime for the most part. He's a hard worker, don't get it twisted, but finding legal work without identification is difficult. So for the most part, it's thievery, drug dealing, forgery, but he's surviving. He manages to see some of the rest of North America, moving like a refugee through it, taking work where he can, taking wallets from gym lockers where he can, and soon he ends up in juvie. Jason is doomed, like many from similar situations, to spend his life in and out of jail and prison. And his story goes much like this as he accrues a full body of single needle tattoo work that seems to unearth from his skin rather than become applied to it until the year 2016, where he suddenly decides that he wants to make something of his life, that he wants to make up for some of what created him, 
and for some of what was still out there, creating broken people, like what he now had succumbed to accepting he was, broken and thrown away. Kicking ass and taking names is a string of words often thrown around by fat-bellied wannabes, but in Jason Vukovic's case, this became his lifestyle. In jail and in prison, he joyfully observed and maybe participated in the terrorization of child sex offenders. But it bothered Jason that once these scumbags inevitably became free again, the focus of those who knew what they were shifted exclusively back to their own brand of crime. He felt that the rules imposed on pedophiles in prison should be adopted by the streets, that the gangs which enforced taxes on these sex offenders that kept a close eye and strict parameters on them while incarcerated should continue this breed of independent community policing out in the world. Jason, as a child, had often fantasized about a large, tatted-up gangbanger busting in the door and setting his own abuser straight, putting him on notice. But it had, of course, never happened. Well, many hard years later, he'd become that fictional hope from his childhood. Without fully realizing what he'd been doing, Vukovic had slowly morphed into that absent avenger from daydreams past, via his own evolution, into a man. He handpicked his targets. Many who have glanced at this case immediately assume that Vukovic randomly selected addresses gathered from the sex offender registry, but this isn't true. He first would hear about troublesome perverts through the grapevine of the streets and his criminal connections, then find their addresses using publicly available information. In the end, Jason would be convicted for three attacks. And as I've already said, you can get the linear version from episode 16 of True Crime Kent, where we tackled this case in a known facts fashion. But for me, I'd like to go off-road here, armed with exclusive insight collected from Jason himself collected to explain his righteous anger. Fresh out of jail for credit card fraud, Vukovic decided he was sick of being a product of his environment. It was time to meet what he now understood to be his destiny. It was time to put down his burden, lay down that double-crossing cross, pick up a hammer, and get to work. Jesus was a carpenter. Jason was too, in a way, out to rebuild homes that had been damaged by the evils of men like his own abuser. And there was only one way Vukovic knew to get started. With brute force and balls. It's scary, but it was meant to be. It maybe has to be. If you're ever truly going to change or at least dissuade someone from allowing their twisted nature... To blossom. And from the start, he knows it's right. For the first time in his life, he feels a spirit of peace, of righteousness, flowing through him. He notices something appealing in the eyes of those whom he shares his reckless plan of reckoning with. It's a look of admiration, of gratitude, something real and pure that he now understands to be all he ever wanted. Something real, something pure. And so it begins. Kind of the, the analogy that I've told people as pertains to myself all the way is people love the ribbons and they love the awards, but they hate the labor. I'm someone that loves the labor. If I can get in and do some heavy lifting and contribute in a meaningful way, then I do. He loves the labor. 
Vukovic, for however you decide to decipher the man, is a hard worker, committed to the task at hand. He'll see it through. And though this powerful trait of personality can be dangerous when applied to criminal action, you have to see that if he were ever given the proper therapy, then given the chance to tackle the world using a healthy mindset, bent on resurrection rather than destruction, Jason Vukovic would undoubtedly be one of the more productive of us when it comes to affecting real change and real growth in the stunted among us. But I digress, because we're nowhere near that alternate reality, and as Vukovic himself says, hope is a poison for people in his position. People that went so far that they may never come back. So for now, let's just be with how it was. He had some help, not much, but some. Most likely, the help he got was a charity in disguise, an exercise of empowerment for two girls that came along with him some nights. And now, my original suspicion, I'm ashamed to say, being the filthy-minded fool I become with eight cheap beers in me and some time to hypothesize about shady details, was that Jason may have been a pimp. Here was his response to this suggestion. I think we are getting ready to... We're at 15 minutes right now. I'm looking. Uh, if we if it hangs up on us, will you call me back? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. For sure. We're, we're going to have... Uh, there's going to be some two-minute interruption, too, because they're going to make the cattle call at some point in our series of calls here, and I'll have to run out and grab this dinner tray and throw it on my desk. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'll call you right back. Okay. Well, the first question, and Jack has sent me a list of questions here, and these are going to be for his episode yep. on you. Uh, and the first one is kind of funny, but also kind of serious, because me and him have a little bit of a bet going. So we see that we know that uh, you know during during the attacks, the last two attacks, you had uh, two young ladies with you, and also Jack thinks you kind of look like, you, you you know Jack thinks you look like a hard ass, and you're a big dude, and you've got a you've got a pimp hand on you. We know that. Uh, so Jack is wondering if if. I think you know where this is going. If were you ever a pimp at any time, like a legitimate pimp? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. And and I'll tell you this: what's interesting is my personal moral code when it comes to that is very, very high. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and, but look, interesting backstory is uh, <laughs> shit throughout the series. Uh, of, of things like this, there was a number of times where I had some other hard asses and I would tell them, hey man, I gotta go handle this shit with this child molester, you wanna come with? And, and they would be to a man, oh hell no, hell no, bro, we're not going, absolutely not. Uh, but there were girls in the, the community and those two in particular had dads and uncles and their friends and in their childhood, like one of them had had the bottoms of her feet burned with cigars. Oh, Jesus. The other one the other one was forced to do sexual things, and the girls were like, oh, hell yeah, we'll go with you. So they got their little dainty little fingerless gloves and sweatshirts and little combat boot outfits on and came with because they wanted to see the get down. That's fucking uh, awesome. And, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you would be surprised how far this issue this issue stretches. And, and trust me, there's plenty of people out there who were Thank you for using Secures. Goodbye. The caller has hung up. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. Of further interest, Jason had a pit bull that accompanied him at times on his missions. We asked him about this dog of his, too, in a short piece here that's interesting. 
Real quick, easy question. Did the pit bull go with you uh, every time, and what was the pit bull's name? Yeah, so my pit bull, his name was Aminos. Aminos. Uh, which is Aminos, yeah, that's an old demon from some spiritual text, and I'll tell you what, he was. And uh, he was super well-trained and loved to go with. Most of the time I would make him wait in the car, which he hated. Um, but on the, the last night when I got arrested, I actually I would let him out, and he would circle the house. If I didn't let him go in, he would circle the house in case somebody tried to run. Uh, and he was really excellently well-trained, and I used to tell him, Aminos, are you ready? Are you ready? And he would start jumping up Thank in the you, air. Thank you, Goodbye. Fuck. This is amazing. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. (laughs) Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off on limited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog. With my little family, we're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash dark topic to check it out. Badlandsfood.com. This is fucking incredible. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. 
If you believe this should be a private call, please hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private number. To consent to this recorded call, press 1. We just thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. All right, brother, we're back. Yeah, super brief side note on that. It's interesting because in Anchorage there was a pretty big, long community, um, and these are like Cantonese people, um, and they own some businesses in, in a section of Anchorage. Um, and one of the old OGs is Mike Lee, and he kind of was hip to my practice and, and my get down. So one day he calls me, and I don't know if you know this, but in my peer group everybody knows me as Lucky. That's what that's been my hand. Lucky? No, I didn't know. Okay. That's what they call me. So he calls me. He says, "Hey, Lucky." I got a gift for you, Lucky. You got to come by my shop. So I drive down there, and uh, he gives me Aminos. And this dog, man, ran up and posted up right beside my driver door. And I rolled the window down, and I'll tell you what, he jumped. I didn't even open the door. He jumped in the driver's side window, climbed over me, and posted up on the passenger seat. And, uh, man, that was my dog, just right from get. Right, right from day one. So you know, strangely, the night that I got arrested, I had Aminos with me, and uh, it was interesting because the cops that night they were like patting me on the back, asking me, "Did you get that motherfucker? Did you get him good?" And my dog was just in a panic in the car, and uh, one of them was a canine handler, um, and I called a girlfriend of mine and told her, "Hey, I need you to come down and pick up Aminos." She's like, oh, my God, are you shitting me? I live in a fucking condo on the south side. I can't take that monster. You're crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and the canine officer was like, you know what? Is he trained? And I told him, man, he's absolutely incredibly well trained. He opens the door, had him sit down, and he's like, you know what? I think I got a long blue leash in my car. And he went over to his car, boom, and he's like, I can't, I can't let this animal go to the pound. And he took him home. And as far as I know, to this day, that's a, a canine officer's dog. He still got him. Oh, so he? What color was he? Uh, he was white with a uh, little black spots on him, but just a monster, monster pit bull. I have a white pit bull myself with brown spots. Do you? Yeah, but I didn't get to name her a badass name like Aminos. Her her name is Chelsea. My my six year old named her so. Yeah, yeah. As I've said, this episode is somewhat of a companion piece to episode 16 of the podcast True Crime Kent, where again you get more of a fleshed out rendition of the Alaskan Avengers story. But here we are exploring the righteous anger of Jason Vukovic. So, what exactly is righteous anger? Well, it's exactly what you might think. Anger is most often viewed as a negative human trait, but it's necessary at times to employ if done in the spirit of righteousness. Without anger, we would never have the inclination, the fuel, the energy to attempt to right a wrong. Is it not anger or outrage that compels social justice movements, civil rights movements, the justice system itself to find ways to channel outrage and anger into a tool to mete out recompenses for wrongs committed by wayward, evil, Bad people, bad subgroups, harmful dictatorships even. Without anger, specifically righteous anger, we would all lay down and take it. Take whatever those propelled to act wrongly, selfishly towards individuals or groups or countries for their own nefarious purposes are willing to dole out. And isn't it telling that when we act out of anger without forethought, we often cause destruction, 
But when done righteously, we seem to set things right in some way. And we know it's right because it feels right. Things tend to line up and fall into place at a righteous act's discretion upon its employment. The universe seems to smile when we step away from traditional methods of patience or apathy in order to not make more waves. The universe smiles when we counter these wrongs with pure intent and purpose. No matter how unconscionable the act may seem from the outside looking in, Making waves has a constant result of washing things clean, if not entirely away. And from time to time, one of us is called to act in a seemingly hazardous way. At the cost of our own personal lack of disruption to our own lives, our own freedom in some cases. Righteousness, more often than not when it comes to anger, means sacrifice. In order to put a spotlight on the things we too often feel compelled to keep in the dark, so as to better ignore they exist in the first place. I'm not a violent person by nature in any way, shape, or form, and it took channeling the proper energy in the proper moment. Uh, But I will also tell you is there was a few surreal moments when manifesting that sort of righteous anger in the right time and the right place, and it's absolutely fucking surreal because you're just taken over with this feeling like this is right. And it's supposed to be happening right now in this manner. And, and that's the best way I can describe it to you. Um, and not like over psychological bounds into some psychopath place, but just in the moments because of the circumstances and the surroundings and just how everything came together in that moment, you know you were supposed to be there delivering that message in that moment. That's the best way I can. And there was a number of times that I would show up at the address or the house and it would be surreal bro the entire neighborhood would be dead and it's the middle of summertime there should be people everywhere and i mean one in particular the guy is sitting in his chair in his in his bedroom and he wouldn't answer his door and i just felt compelled to walk around the back and i see him through the glass sitting there and i tell him go answer your door oh boy go open the door and he's like me right now i said yep. yeah you and he yeah marched. Yeah, and he marched right up there, met me at the front door, opened it, and I just walked right past him and told him, come on, man, come on. And he just followed me down. And so it's just, man, I could, uh, there was a number of times. Almost like he'd been waiting on you. Exactly. That's exactly right. And there's another time I'll never forget. I got time off from work to blast down to this fourplex downtown, and it was kind of a summer evening, 5 p.m. or something. And when I get down there, I park the car, and I put gloves on, and I put my jacket on, and I go to start walking up, and I shit you not, this crowd of kids, maybe six or eight or ten kids, just happens to be out there playing, and they're all surrounding me, like, giggling and laughing and reaching up to me and all this type of stuff, and I'm telling them, okay, hold on, kids, hold on, kids, you guys gotta go, I gotta do something, I gotta do something. And it was just so profound that a group of kids, and it's bringing me to tears right now because... It was such a profound feeling of, this is right. You know what I mean? They were like, I don't even know how to describe it. Especially when you've been, you've had uh, spiritualism and everything hammered into you at a young age. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. And uh, it's just absolutely surreal. I'll tell you what, in this particular case, all of the doors to this place were propped open. I walked right upstairs, knocked on this dude's door. And, I, and there was a little star magnets on the outside of the door. And I took one of them and put it right over the people. Bam. So we couldn't see who was knocking. 
And when he opens the door, this dude is semi-drunk as fuck, and he's got maybe a 12 or a 13-year-old, if they were his two nieces, are in the room, and they're playing music, and all three of them are drunk as hell. And I already know that I literally just showed up at the exact right moment. And same thing, I told him, come on, homeboy, come on, homeboy, you're coming with me. Almost everything that Jason Vukovic stole from his victims, he gave to people struggling in his community. Save some items from his last victim that were collected by police who swarmed to the media dubbed Avenger after his last most vicious crime. A couple who were staying in the man's home came face to face with Vukovic as he broke into the home and were told by the hulking hammer-wielding intruder to go back to their rooms, that this had nothing to do with them. As Vukovic engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the huge sex offender, the couple called police as they overheard the intruder telling the man that he was an avenging angel sent to mete out justice for those he'd hurt. What followed was a horrific beating with a hammer that left the man in a pool of his own blood, and for all Jason knew, dead on the floor. Vukovic, known by some friends as Lucky, seemed to be on some kind of righteous mission one that by his own admission should have been undertaken with less violence and more collaboration with systems already in place that could have helped him mete out his brand of justice in a more positive way. But at the time, while he was kicking in windows, terrorizing the homes of convicted pedophiles and child porn procurers and voyeurs, Vukovic felt that he was alone in his mission. He felt that nobody else would understand, and that given his experience, given his lack of resource due to an already lengthy criminal record, that there was only one way. He'd have to get his hands dirty, do the heavy lifting, the labor, himself. I asked Jason the question through Kent of what he would say today to that version of himself that set out on these missions. If that were possible, what would he say? I'll leave you with his answer, as well as another question we should all consider the answer to ourselves. Should not a person who is clearly misguided by the intensity of their life experience by their own demons born from a childhood spent under the terrorization of the type of predator compelled to prey on the most impressionable and innocent of us, children, be given another chance to direct his righteous anger into simple righteousness, now that he sees the error of what may have been his final decisions. Why should he be forced to rot in prison for the next few decades, possibly until his death, while so many of the types who inspired him to commit his crimes sit free in the community around you, or I? waiting for the heat to fade on their own heinous choices, so they can maybe act again, next time in a way that makes it less likely that they'll be caught. It seems to me like a man on a path imbued with the spirit of righteousness, no matter how rocky that path may be, is at least directed towards the light, whereas those who have shown that their true colors are shades of gray or even pure blackness continue to receive the benefit of the doubt in today's society. I'm not saying we should embrace vigilantism, I'm saying that we should embrace the spirit of righteous anger when it comes to keeping these rogue, inherently sick individuals all around us accountable. To stay under some form of vigilant guard so as to ensure that they don't strike again on their paths that clearly lead down a darker and darker route should they not know that we know where they've been and where they'll likely head once again if our light doesn't shine upon them. If you could speak to that younger version of yourself before the attacks, uh, what would you say to him? Man, I would, I would say that, uh, this life does contain 
people who care. Uh, and you do matter, and it does matter. Um, just to keep it real succinct, that's what I would say. That, and that's really what's enabled me uh, to sleep at night, and it's given me much peace along the way. Because you got to realize, from the inside out, um, I'm living within a system that is predicated on you're wrong. Everything you do is wrong. What you've done is wrong. You're a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Uh, that's like that's the nature of this experience when you're in this prison system. Um, Alaska's system in particular is vicious in that way. Um, so for me at night when I close my eyes, what I know is there's a number of kids who may or may not ever come and see me. And I have gotten two letters um, and they asked to keep them private, so I will, um, that that person did not go back to abuse them a single time, not one more time. And to me, worth it. Worth it. will do it. I think it's important to add here that though it may seem that our episodes between True Crime Kent and This Dark Topic are condoning of Jason Vukovic's actions, that's not entirely true. I like Jason. A lot. I really do feel that he should spend some time in prison for what he did, but not more time than all of his victims and his childhood abuser combined. I think that's a travesty. But let's be clear. Vukovic broke into homes like a righteous version of Jason Voorhees. What he did was terrifying, disturbing. He left one sex offender with permanent brain damage and easily could have killed the man. He deserves to be in prison. But only for as long as it takes him to see and truly feel as though he's ready to do it right next time. And I believe he's very close to that. And I'm committed to do what I can to help him get here. Until then, if that time in fact ever does come, there is a link in the show notes to a website created by his sister Angelina where you can contact Jason or help support financially in a multitude of ways to make that time a little easier on the man. As well, I've provided a link to our episode of True Crime Kent covering this case. For everything you may have felt was lacking in detail here, you'll find it covered on that episode. This is a companion episode to the True Crime Kent episode 16, Jason Vukovic episode. My take was meant more to understand Jason and his actions more so than to cover his crimes. Which, like I keep saying, we already covered on episode 16 of True Crime Kent. Thank you so much for your time. Until next time, keep those eyes cocked, those doors locked, and stay paranoid. Stay tuned here for a final clip on a bit of conversation between Kent and Jason that I found uh, compelling. It's been a really eye-opening, and I've had to look deep into myself, I'm sure you all have too, as to where my morals lie when it comes to this type of a situation, which is completely original somehow. Uh, He's like the only one that did this. You know, we all think, we watch these movies, you know, like uh, Falling Down or um, I don't know what another one is, where someone just kind of snaps. You know, you hear about school shooters and stuff all the time, right? They, They go after bullies and they shoot up a school and all this shit all this nonsense like that truly shouldn't happen, that truly can be avoided, 
But something like this seems to have only happened this one time that I'm aware of. And I'm left just feeling so sad about it. For Jason, um, yeah, just for Jason. What were the feelings that you had? I, I would imagine just in what we've been talking here, the Jack was also wanting to know what, what kind of feelings were going through you while the attacks were actually being carried out. Uh, was it relief or, like you said, sur- surreal, uh, just a surreal? Or yeah. Did you feel like you were hovering above your body in any way, kind of? Uh... In, 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 in a sense, and I would not like it to ever sound like some sort of a cop-out as if it was. However, however, I will tell you the profound nature of the time and the place and all of the circumstances around each encounter. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is there's something about righteous anger that you can read the definition of it and you can understand it that way, or you can have practiced it at some point in your life. Um, and, and having practiced it, and the thing that they don't tell you about righteous anger is in the moment, that feeling of connectedness and rightness and you just knowing that this should be happening, uh, no one tells you as part of that definition that typically it comes at great personal cost. You know, and, and probably military people would understand this better than others because you can be empowered and sanctioned and directed by your government to go kill people in a war zone. Yes. Uh, but they might forget to tell you that you're going to have to live with that. Yeah, you've got um, you're you're, ta- you're given a piece of yourself at the same 100%. time. I promise you it was a great sacrifice on my part to channel that energy, uh, but also just the connectedness of the experience, it's hard to describe. I I understand exactly what you're—well, we we may have had two very different experiences, but I can relate. I understand what you're getting at there. Uh, I went to Afghanistan twice as a machine gunner in the Marine Corps, and uh, and I feel like both times I— I left some, uh, like, uh, something. Something stayed there. 100%. Thank you for that, too. Uh, it's, well, it's something that I, I, I don't regret. I, I'm glad I did it, but my uh, at the same time, my kind of values at the time that I joined were a lot different than they are now. I was sure. more conservative sure. at the time that I joined, and, and as I've gotten older and been around, you know, different people and religions and everything, I've kind of gotten... I don't. I don't know if if I could take my brain out and put it in in twenty year old me. I don't know if I would. For sure. I don't know what the what path I would take. You you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I super. I mean, I super relate to that. And I, you know, I as pertains to this subject matter, I will just tell you that you know whatever choices we've made and how we ended up being who we are, that's exactly what it took for us to end up who we are. Period. Yes, that's what it is. and that's one thing I'm thankful for, honestly. And and it sounds like you are. Right. I I like who you are as a person. I hope that you like who you are as a person. For sure, yeah. I some some days are hard, um, and, and again, I like after our, our last conversation, I was just ripping. Man, you got to message him right away and tell him like just feeling alone for the majority of your life, and then further than that, when you act having felt alone most of your life, and then the world arrives to throw stones and criticize you for, for what you've chosen to do, was difficult. 
Um, and then over time, over the years, as people have shown up and said, hey, uh, uh, I understand that this, this is what I went through as well, and I get it. Uh, man, it's been the most meaningful part of this experience. Um, it's, been, it's been amazing.